Welcome to Circle Sanctuary Network Podcast, brought to you by Circle Sanctuary, one of the oldest nature spirituality churches in the United States, connecting people of nature-centered paths around the world. Join us through the week for a variety of shows discussing various topics, celebrating the divine in all of its forms, through nature worship, rituals, education, and building bridges of community. We are Twyla York and Laura Gonzalez, and we are the officially unofficial Pagan Committee ambassadors for Chicago for Parliament of the World Religions. No, we're not. We're nothing official. We're just two friends yeah. that are overly excited about Parliament of the World Religions. First of all, how are you, Twyla? I am doing really well. I'm very excited for Parliament coming up. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, and I'm actually very excited about Parliament, and because we are very excited about Parliament of the World Religions happening in Chicago, or hometown, I invited Twyla to tell us a little bit about, first of all, what is Parliament of the World Religions? So Parliament of the World Religions was actually started before the Great Fire in Chicago, and it was created to kind of uh, cultivate harmony among the world religions and try to foster engagement with all of these institutions and how can we work together to achieve a just, a peaceful, and sustainable world. Um, they, they, they gather every three years, roughly three years, in different cities around the world to gather and work on these issues. And uh, this year is going to be in Chicago. Yes, it's going to be at the McCormick Place. It's going to be uh, right, so right on my backyard, literally. I, <sighs> For those who don't know, I live very, very close to the McCormick Place. And why do you think it's important that we represent not only from Chicago, but from all over the world, we as pagans, why should we be proactive? Why should we be going? As pagans, we should be going because we, as a religious, spiritual movement and group and identity, had to fight for our place at Parliament. Um, every step of the way, we had amazing people like Phyllis and Angie and Andres fighting tooth and nail, among many, many other important pagans, also Selena, for us to have a space within the Parliament to recognize among the big religious leaders that paganism is valid and important and a very diverse large community network of individuals from a wide range of backgrounds and being at chicago we want to represent that fully that this is the beautiful tapestry that is paganism come show that come be part of this tapestry that we're going to show these other religious leaders who and what we are and how we practice and how we celebrate beautiful so when is Parliament and how do we sign up? So Parliament is going to be August 14th through the 18th, as I said, in the McCormick Place, downtown Chicago. And if you go to the parliamentofreligions.org, you can sign up for tickets. Um, they have discounted tickets if you have a larger group going. They also have discounted tickets for children and if you have a field trip arranging with a uh, youth group. Uh, but again, you go to Parliament of World Religions, my apologies, Parliament, parliamentofreligions.org, 
and you can get tickets there and all the details of all hundreds of workshops and programs and art display and music that's all going to be there. And of course, we're going to do the shameless self-promotion because we all are going to be presenting. So I'm going to be with Reverend Selena Fox and Reverend Deborah Rose talking about women in podcasting. And then we are going to be doing a Pagan Voices of Chicago panel. So we have Loro Gonzalez, myself, Damian Hahn, Claire Levioki, Chris Allen, Talisa Lee, and Jamie Marie Robinson um, representing our individual different voices and paths within paganism. And then I'm also doing another panel, which is going to be the Voices of the Goddesses with Angie Buchanan and a whole slew of other women. We each are connecting with different goddesses and writing a piece about it and wearing these beautiful artistic masks um, as our writing is read out loud. That is wonderful. And last but not least, of course, I'm going to be doing a panel with uh, Reverend Karen Green and Reverend Selena Fox about festivals of the dead. Of course, we're going to be talking about Day of the Dead, All Saints Day, All Souls Day, and absolutely Samhain, Halloween, and whatnot. And then whatever else comes through between then and now, because we are going to be taking part on ceremonies or the group, uh, the uh, room, or I don't know. I mean, I'm about to go with the flow and go wherever I'm called. So it's going to be a good time. And please remind us, Twyla, of the website where people can sign up. It's going to be parliamentofreligion.org, and it's going to be August 14th through the 18th at McCormick Center in downtown Chicago. There's still lots of time to sign up. This is a once-in-a-lifetime thing. It will change you um, being surrounded by all these amazing people from all these different faiths working for a common goal. Thank you so much, Twyla, for being here on CSMP, talking about Parliament of the World Religions. My name is Laura Gonzalez, and until we meet again, never forget that you are loved. Bye-bye. Good evening, good morning, good night, good second breakfast, whenever you are, wherever you are. My name is Laura Gonzalez, and I'd like to welcome you to Lunatic Mondays on CSMP, the Circle Sanctuary Network podcast. Tonight, we have a guest who... I'm dying to get to know, and I want you to get to know. Uh, their name is Corey Thomas Hutchison. Uh, they were raised in Tennessee and grew up surrounded by family lore about Ireland, Poland, and Scotland. After a few overseas excursions in, par in parts of Europe, he returned home eager to dive into folklore and folk magic of North America. He started a research website at, and podcast with his friend and magical partner, Lainey, called New World Witchery which has been examining North American folk magic practices since 2010. You can find them at www.newworldwitchery.com. He has also authored a book on the folklore of plain cart cartomancy called 54 Devils, as well as the Llewellyn title New World Witchery, a, a trove of North American folk magic. He has a PhD in American studies with specializations in folklore, ethnography, ethnic studies, and religion from Pennsylvania State University. And he teaches classes in the humanities as well as online about folklore. 
he continues to look for more wonder in the world and is grateful to all the contributors on this book for helping him see so much of it all around the world, all around him. And the book we're talking about, obviously, is the North American Folk Magic. But we're going to talk about the book a little bit more later. I'm dying to get to know you, Corey. And I want everybody to get to know you from a different level. So we're not going to talk about the book. No, I'm just kidding. We're going to talk about the book. But first, I want to get to know you. Um, okay, so you you have all this folk magic in your family, in your formation from childhood? Uh, I mean, I think everybody does. I think everybody, even if they don't realize they do, I think so many people have folk magic all around them. Um, sometimes it's kind of hidden. Sometimes it's kind of tucked away in this. We don't call it magic, right? We call it uh, miracles or we call it uh, some kind of special prayer that gets you what you want. Or but there's always little things. So I grew up in a household, for example, where um, there was a lot of uh, folk Catholicism around me. Um, and so if something got lost, it was Tony, Tony, look around, help me find what can't be found. And you say the little prayer to St. Anthony charm and you go find the thing that you're looking for. So um, grew up with a lot of that, grew up with a lot of like fairy lore. Um, my mom was very, very big on our Irish heritage. And so she would sort of bring that in there as well. We also had some Polish heritage, which I've later found out is not just Poland, but kind of Lithuania, Latvia, the sort of like um, whole pale of settlement, central European area. So there's some Slavic lore that's kind of popped in and out here and there. So a lot of that kind of influenced me growing up. Um, and then I just, I, I also happened to live in the American South for most of my life. And the American South is a place that is absolutely riddled with um, folk, magical lore and traditions. You can't, I mean, you can't, you can't swing a black cat <laughs> without bumping into a, a, a haint or a ghost or something like that. Some sort of a uh, little bit of magical lore that's floating around in there, right? Not that I'm advocating swinging around black cats. Be nice to no. your black cats, please. <laughs> and by American, I'm sure you mean the United States. Yes, south, yes. The that's south very end of the yeah. mm -hmm. south south end of the United States. Mm -hmm. Um, and I always like to make this this distinction because, as myself, the rest of the world we see America as a continent. Mm -hmm. So, the south of the United States, so mm -hmm. close to Mexico, so close to mm -hmm. all these folk traditions that were shared before there was a border. Mm -hmm. And also, I have been very blessed to make friends and read books by both uh, Byron Ballard and by, uh, Canford, I can't remember his name now, he's on this book. Uh, he uh, writes Appalachia. Also. Right. So, are you, are you talking about Jake Richards? No, I, I, it'll come to me. It'll come to me. Anyway, uh, so many collaborators on this book. But before we go into the book, so you grew up with uh, the folk magic, mm -hmm. the traditions, the Catholic. I'm going to put you through my horrible joke. Uh -huh. I say this joke. You can laugh, but you cannot make the joke if you're not Mexican. I'm telling my audience. Uh, Mexico is the most pagan country in the world. Don't tell the Mexicans. They think they're Catholic. <laughs> and uh, I think that's what happened also with like Irish, Polish, and all that uh, Western European Catholic traditions that are so infused with folk magic. Mm -hmm. So when do you make the jump or the distinction, if you will, from being a 
religious person to actually call yourself i'm a witch what i'm doing is witchcraft this is my practice no that's that's a it's good it's a good it's an important um yeah transition to to think about because for most of my kind of young life i was very surrounded by on my mom's side the sort of catholic traditions on my dad's side he was um he was a music leader for a presbyterian church for most of my childhood so the sort of protestant side of things there it's a lot of christianity obviously but i was always very interested in magic very interested in folklore i've always been kind of a i was always kind of the weird kid i think a lot of us were the, the weird kid right um and so i like i liked watching those old universal horror monster films the one like the frankenstein the wolfman and uh dracula and those and so I was very fascinated by kind of the weird, creepy side of things. Um, and my library had these books that were, they would sort of tell the story of those films and then they would have little bits of information about the making of the movies too. Um, and this was in like grade school. And I pulled up one of these books that was on the Wolfman, which was one of my favorites. And in it, they had this little medieval ritual that they, that they pulled from a grimoire somewhere about how they could do these kind of lycanthropic transformations by putting on a wolfskin belt and dancing around a fire at midnight and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, wait a second. Wait, 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 wait. This is something different. This, is, this feels like something real. What's going on here? And that led me to start digging in further and further and looking at folklore and traditions that kind of are tied into magic. And so by the time I was like 11 or 12, I was very, very firmly aiming at magic, magic and kind of a, a vague sense of animism. And I was still very like, I still wanted to sort of call myself Christian, but it's kind of like what you're saying about don't, don't tell, don't tell the Mexicans that they are not Catholic, right? Um, for me, it was like, don't tell me I'm not Christian. I'm still Christian, even though I'm doing magic spells and I'm doing this, this, this on the side, right? Um, and so for me, it was that kind of a, a, a thing where like I started to make that transition from 11 or 12 by just getting into the magical thing, uh, the magical side of it. And by the time I was 16 or 17, I had really made a full transition and said, you know what, I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm what I would classify as Christian anymore. I think I'm very much firmly ensconced in this idea of like an, a sort of animistic worldview where everything has its own agency and life force. And I need to be respectful of that. And I don't have any like high gods that are giving me commands specifically um to you know obey a certain set of scriptures or a certain set of uh, religious doctrines but rather i have to sort of negotiate my relationship with all spiritual entities um on a you know ongoing basis and that's kind of the the way i've followed since then is just to sort of sort of embed myself in that animistic worldview and then work through magic as much as i can do and that doesn't mean i don't I, I totally dismiss the idea of gods or anything like that i think that that's perfectly valid I oftentimes don't engage a whole lot with gods because they're very big and they're very busy. <laughs> and most of the time, the things I need are things I can get from my local spirits. <laughs> That's kind of where I stick. That is so funny that you say they're busy because I, I was 16 mm -hmm. when I was reasoning, you know, in my little 16 year old head, like there cannot be just one God that oversees everything. Mm -hmm. It made more sense to me. Of course, back then I called the uh, forces of nature that our Mesoamerican people live with and, and the philosophies, I used to call them gods because that's what the Spaniards told us that they were gods. And then I was like, yeah, it makes more sense to have Tlaloc for the rain and a Hecat for the wind and Quetzalcoatl for life and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I'm like, that makes more sense, you know, like the big, the big one doesn't have time for me and my needs. That is so awesome that we have kind of like uh, a similar mm -hmm. uh, background and at the same age almost. 
so okay so now you now you find yourself as an animistic person who lives their spirituality and their needs are met through folk magic when do you arrive to the term of to the concept of paganism sure and it's happening around the same time but it's also worth kind of noting that like at the time that i'm i'm kind of getting into this this is like the mid 1990s maybe moving into the late 1990s and of course so much of what is out there at that point in time is this very eurocentric somewhat wiccacentric kind of um version of what is paganism and and it was great i you know had that irish connection so i would look at kind of the irish and the celtic you know quote-unquote celtic deities and i was like okay that's interesting and i know some of these stories and that's fun and and i definitely was at that point kind of identifying as well, I'm definitely under this pagan umbrella. There's definitely something about this that I am under this kind of bigger pagan umbrella. But the more I kind of looked at the Wiccan side of things, I was like, well, I just am not, I, I don't entirely get into the the dualistic God-Goddess um, dichotomy. And that's not to say that I think it's wrong. It's just, it wasn't for me. Um, and I don't really, you know, I don't necessarily follow the the way that the elements work in some of those systems either, where I'm, you know, some of the associations, I'm like, well, it's not really, you know, I don't necessarily think of water as always being in the West, because if I'm oriented towards a body of water that's close to me, it may be actually to my East, and I have to kind of think about that. And I think there's a lot of Wiccans who would say, yeah, that's perfectly reasonable, we do that too, but we just do it a different way in the ritual. But at the, at the late 90s, at this point, everything is basically like, here's how you set up your altar. Here's how you uh, call in these specific deities. You can mix and match deities from these different pantheons and, and so on and so forth. And it's kind of like, at that point, I was like, well, that's not really me, um, but I definitely am somewhere in this pagan umbrella. But it took, me a, it took me a good couple of years beyond that to even figure out like, okay, I'm not Wiccan. I know that. I'm definitely something within the kind of broader pagan fold. Um, but then to sort of arrive at this idea of, can I be something that doesn't have this really specific associated label with it so like i'm not a druid i'm not wiccan um i looked at traditional what's called quote-unquote traditional witchcraft for a very long time there's a lot about that that i work within and it appeals to me um but but I, it really was just something where i was like well, no i think i'm just i'm just gonna practice i'm just gonna practice what i practice and talk to other folk practitioners who are practicing the same kind of like folk practices um, throughout uh, and, and, and you know by the time I'm kind of really getting into this it's really focusing more on um, North America so uh, United States um, mostly kind of northern north yeah just basically kind of northern north the northern states of Mexico and some Canadian lore had kind of filtered in at that point too and so I was mostly focusing on kind of traditions from those areas and seeing like okay well i think i have a practice that works even if it doesn't have a specific label and then somewhere along the line in the past i don't know 10 years or so people have started really talking about the idea of being like quote unquote a folk witch and i was like well i guess that i guess that's what i am i don't know <laughs> that's what i'm doing so sure we'll call it that um, but i still think it falls under at least loosely that sort of pagan umbrella for sure so absolutely and there's so many ways of being a witch i mean mm -hmm. Not all witches are pagan, not all witches mm -hmm. are wicked, not all witches are self-identifying as witch. And that is something that we in folk magic see a lot, you know, like I know Mexican and or Mexican-American and or Chicano people um, and a lot of people here in Chicago. Uh, when you were saying water, water to the West, I was like, yeah, Chicago. 
anybody like we have this big yeah. old lake on the east like we cannot call water to the west because i don't other people do and that's fine with me i say corey always that the most magical words are you do you boo <laughs> that is like that is where the magic resides is you do you uh but i love this um this journey that you have taken us through on understanding what is a folk witch and i do use a lot of names and titles to define myself but i think that folk witch is also obviously one that fits um and then it's funny that like people will make assumptions right about the way certain witches look like because i look uh, I've been told that I look more Puerto Rican than I look Mexican. I don't know. I guess it's the curly hair. And then everybody's like, you do Santeria, right? You do Hoodoo, right? And I'm like, no, I'm more into the Mesoamerican indigenous because I am an indigenous woman. Um, regions, too, have so many differences. And the north of Mexico, what you were talking about, the northern states of Mexico, which will be the south of the United States, their magic is completely different and it has influences from all over the world that I didn't know about until I read some other books from some other practitioner, uh, magical practitioners from the north of Mexico that I'm like, oh, do tell, you know, like even us as Mexicans don't know the whole folk practices of Mexico because Mexico is huge. So when do you, going back to your to your um, your path, when do you decide, okay, folk magic and folk studies are my thing. I'm going to become an academic on folk studies. Oh, that's, yeah. So, well, one, I should say, um, I grew up surrounded by teachers. Uh, my mom was a, was a teacher in the elementary school system. My father was a uh, professor of music at a college. Um, my stepmother was a music teacher in a public school system. So a lot of teachers. So there was always a lot of emphasis on education um, and education was always kind of seen as, as a thing that was important. Um, and I, and I did really well um, in school, you know, kind of just in this sort of academic sense, but it was also one of those things where I, I did well, but it had, you know, I didn't necessarily pick something out that I really wanted. I was very interested in sciences. I was very interested in humanities, very interested in um, a lot of different fields and, and, and things like that. But um, I got my undergraduate degree in English um, studying literature because I thought, you know, okay, well, literature is something I'm really interested in. I'll go this direction with it. Um, and then found that an English degree is actually really, really useful for doing a lot of things in the business world because you're really good at writing and communication and things like that. So I, I spent a good part of my my sort of young adult life working in um, corporate jobs, um, doing things like I was a director of human resources for a, a Fortune 5000 company for, for a good long while. I um, really enjoyed it and really had a good time. But at some point I started saying, you know, I miss, I miss the sort of depth of curiosity that academia sort of provided where you could sort of sit and really work with some ideas for a long time. And about the same time, I was also a podcasting had just kind of become a thing. Um, and so I'd been listening to a podcast called the crooked path by Peter Patton, who's sadly no longer with us. And he focuses a lot on traditional witchcraft, mostly from a kind of um, British Isles perspective. He was really looking at kind of Welsh material mostly, but 
um, very, very interesting stuff. And I kept hearing him talk about this, this material and thinking, well, why isn't anybody doing this with anything North American at the time? Um, uh, and so I, I got together with my partner, uh, Lane, who we do, we've, we've done some magical practice work together, but, and we both were really interested in folklore. She grew up in the South as well. And so we had a lot of short sort of shared folklore experiences. And so we started this podcast where we said, we're just, you know, going to do a couple episodes talking about the folk magic in North America um, and talk about a few of the different things that we've seen kind of around. And that has spanned now. We've been doing that since 2010. Um, we've done over 200 and I think 230 episodes of that show um, with, you know, I think over a hundred people we've had on the show talking about their different practices and their different ways of doing folk magic um, sort of throughout the continent. Um, we haven't gone to South America yet just because I feel like North America in and of itself is so big. Like you said, like, you know, Mexico, people don't, well, I say people don't, um, a lot of white people don't, don't realize like how diverse Mexico is. Like people from Sonora are not practicing in the same way that somebody from, I don't know, Oaxaca is going to practice, right? They're going to be doing very different things. <laughs> and they don't always, and people don't always realize that. <laughs> so like, um, there's a lot of like North American material that, um, you know, it, there's no, there's never going to be a bottom to that well, I, I think. There's so much that you could explore in North America. And I hope somebody does an excellent South American podcast um, at some point that, that kind of covers all of the material there. Uh, but I, I know I'm not qualified to do that. Um, and so, you know, in doing the podcast, I realized that doing this research that I had to do for the show and for the website, because I started doing articles for this website that was associated with the show, I was loving it. I loved every minute of writing these articles, doing these shows, doing the research. And so I started looking at, well, what can I do with this kind of from a more practical standpoint? And I decided to go back to school. I did a master's degree and then um, then went on and did a doctoral degree because I found um, some, I found a university that would allow me to kind of do specifically folklore studies um, and really dig into the folklore studies. And so I did a lot of folklore uh, research and work. I did um, papers on uh, the use of monster play and fatherhood. I uh, did something on that. And then my big PhD study was uh, I was embedded with a folklore festival in Philadelphia that focused on this European monster figure that shows up uh, called the Krampus. Um, and they have a big parade for him. At the time, it was for him. It was specifically a Krampus lab, a Krampus parade in Philadelphia, but eventually it became something called the Parade of Spirits, which focuses on a lot of different um, sort of wintertime lore creatures uh, from from multiple cultures. Um, and so I did a research project with that, and I was continuing to write and do research on other aspects of folklore. Um, and I found that folklore is one of those things where everybody has it, everybody's constantly surrounded by it, and nobody realizes how much of it they're in contact with. Um, I get questions all the time about like, well, where can I learn about, you know, my folk magic systems? Or where can I learn about my, uh, you know, or where can I learn about folklore that, you know, that is open to me? Or, um, or they'll say like, oh, well, I wish I had these traditions, but I just didn't grow up with any of it. And I'm always like, I bet you did. <laughs> I bet you grew up with it. It just wasn't called the thing that we're calling it here. You have to, you have to think about kind of like, well, you know, what did you, what did you do when you passed a graveyard? Did you hold your breath? Did you uh, look away? Did you uh, say a little prayer? Did you lift up your feet? Like, what did you do? All of that kind of ties in and those traditions get tied back to some of the folk practices that people have uh, about like, how do you show respect to the dead? And, and can you draw these kind of lines between these things? And so 
um, diving into the academic world allowed me to really explore that in some depth and do so much more research with it and hopefully bring some serious investigative um, thinking to folk magic more broadly, uh, particularly in North America. And I'm, I'm hoping that people, if they read the, the complete book of North American folk magic, or if they read New World Witchery, um, or if they read any, you mentioned um, uh, people who've been writing about, for example, um, Mexican and Mexican-American traditions. I think of, um, I don't know if you've uh, talked to Laura Davila yet, but um, she wrote a really excellent book called Mexican Sorcery in the past year or so. Uh, and she, for example, tracks the influence of um, Jewish Jewish immigration in Mexico and how it really influenced some of the magic in certain areas. So there are people doing a lot of really great work, and 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 I'm just glad to be a part of that. Uh, but I think I think it's one of those things where that's that's what I want to see is I want to see people you know treating this with some seriousness and some and some deep thought, but also having some fun with it too. So uh, because I think it's I think it is fun. So. Of course, and yes, uh, I was referring precisely to Laura Davila, mm -hmm. uh, Daphne Lechicera, yes, yes. with her book, uh, where I learned about all this Jewish influence mm -hmm. on the north of Mexico. Because I'm from, I'm from Mexico City. I'm from El uh -huh. DF. Uh, uh -huh. By the way, you speak Spanish. Un poco. <laughs> Your pronunciation of Sonora and Oaxaca are perfect. By the oh, way, thank you. And that is always appreciated. And I also read the book by J. Allen Cross. And I also read the book by, um, oh my God, I forgot. I, what, I, what is wrong with me? I'm blanking on names today. Jaime Gironez, uh, the book on the, uh, this, the little book of Day of the Dead. And all these wonderful people from Mexico and, you know, Central and South America who are writing books. Uh, Carolina Amor is doing podcasts. Uh, Monica Gobin have wrote about uh, the phases of the boon and the Israel Sur stuff that is happening mm -hmm. in Argentina, and um, and Erica Bonaflores did the that really lovely book on I think it was Curanderismo uh, practices. Yeah, no, yeah, there's been a wonderful rush of authors. So I, I think that. I think after the old Bookland and Cunningham and mm -hmm. what is ha what happens in the United States. Mm -hmm. starts happening in Mexico, Central and South America one or two decades later. Mm -hmm. And so we had Buckland and Cunningham on the 90s. So we have in the 2010s things that start happening from Central and South America and Mexico, which is North America for those who still they 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 want to will Mexico into South America. No, <laughs> Mexico is North America. I think people believe Corey that if if they will it hard enough, it's gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. <laughs> Mexico is North America. Period. Sorry if you think it's not. No. Uh, but anyway, let's talk about this wonderful book of yours. Mm -hmm. I I have to say, Corey, though this wonderful book of ours. Mm -hmm. because it, mm -hmm. it really you have so many heavy hitters on this book and i squirry myself into the book i am not <laughs> in the book but i am in the book so the book is called llewellyn's complete book of north american folk magic a landscape of magic mystery and tradition and let me read you one of the blurbs it says a love letter to North American witchcraft. This book is a must for folk magic practitioners, apprentices, and connoisseurs. Corey Thomas Hutchison reminds us of how the magic of the land 
and the people in North America is found on every corner, and your mother's blessing at the ocean shores and everything everywhere in between. This is the magic of resistance, tradition, and survival. And measure yourself in the rich origin, history, and traditions of folk magic in North America, guided by local experts, folklorists, and magic practitioners such as Byron Baller, Brandon Weston, J. Allen Cross, and more. And that blur bus was by Laura Gonzalez. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is the first time I write a blur for a book, and I never in a million years expected to be on the back cover. Yeah. You're like the top blurb in there too. I love that. I was uh I was talking to Heather Green. I was jumping, I was screaming, and then she tells me, think about how you're gonna feel when it's your book. Mm -hmm. I'm like, girl, when I have time, I will start writing. Oral tradition, though. I'm Mexican from Mexico. Oral tradition is our thing. That's why I do podcasts. I've been doing podcasts since 2011, just like Mm -hmm. you. And um, but yeah, we have to get into this. So let me, I, I really want to read all the names so people yes. know what we're talking about. Stephanie Rosebird, Byron Baller, Star Casas, Istoy Paloma Cervantes, Kenia T. Koviak, J. Allen Cross, Alexander Cummins, Morgan Daimler, Mario Esteban del Angel Guevara, Lilith Dorsey, Morgan Fu, Bia Hedera, Corey Thomas Hutchinson, Melissa a Ivanka Murray, EFE Lacarty, Lacarty, D. Norman, Aaron Overon, Robert Phoenix, Jake Richards, Sandra Santiago, Robert L. Screwer, Eliseo Cheo Torres, Benabel Wen, and Brandon Weston. That's the name I was uh, forgetting at the beginning, Brandon Weston. Yes. Because yes, um, yes. obviously, Obviously, I have an affinity with the work of the ones that I know their work. Uh, J. Allen Cross, because mm-hmm. Mexican-American. Uh, Byron Ballard, because I think we were separated at birth. And then Brandon Weston, uh, because it's so the culture of the Appalachians and the culture of uh, where Brandon is, that is not the Appalachians, but I can't remember. Um, the Ozarks, right? So he's the Ozarks. The Ozarks. I don't remember the name. That and the central Mexico culture is like, it's almost, it's so similar. I'm not going to say it's the same, but it's so similar. We have so many traditions. And then when you go deep into the folk, you realize that, like you said, we all have a variation of certain practices. I have the same experience that you have. Uh, I've been teaching about the other dead for 38 years. Mm -hmm. I've been teaching about the day of the dead. I started when I was 12. Yes, I'm 50. Yes, I'm 50. Uh, I started teaching when I was 12 because people didn't believe me that it came from the indigenous traditions of Mesoamerica. So I started teaching um, when I was 12. And people will come, you know, now I do in English and I, there's a whole bunch of shows and programs that I have done about that. The, the book will come sometime, I promise you. Um you heard it here on this interview. I will write. We're holding you to it. Yes. I, you know what, Corey? It's just, I'm so like, somebody just told me like, just talk and record yourself and then put it on, on words and it will be a book. Uh, it's hard for me to write in English, obviously, but I'm getting there. I'm getting my feet wet. I'm already in some collaborations. So it's, it, it, it will happen. It will happen. Um, to the point, Laura. People ask me about Day of the Dead. 
you know, like, how can we do this respectfully? How can we honor that uh, practicing the day of the dead? And I'm like, you don't have to. You don't have to because I'm sure your mama, your grandmama, your great-grandmama, your aunt, your uncle, your cousin, your neighbor have the traditions that are from your family, from your place of origin, and from your North American super rich folk traditions that you don't like you said i know i know i'm repeating your words we have them we just don't know that we have them and then we see something so very colorful like day of the dead and we want to have it and no you cannot have it <laughs> i mean you can have it but you cannot exploit it you cannot appropriate it so that's a fine line um First of all, how did you collect it, all these wonderful people? How hard was it? It was it was fairly hard in some ways, but once it it was just it was really hard just to kind of get um more than anything to be able to say like okay we can only have so much space in the book and we can only have so many people that can write for this how do we get so much into such a and for me I'm like even though you look at this book and you're like that is a doorstop in terms of the width you know, I look at that and I go it's so small to fit everything. It's so small um, because there's, like you said, it's an incredibly rich, diverse land with people from so many backgrounds pulling on so many threads. Um, and yeah. And part of it is exactly what you're talking about. Like this, we want people to see, yeah, the, the day of the dead, um, you have the, you know, the, the, the Mesoamerican and Mexican American and Mexican variations on this, right. Where you have, you know, the papel picado and you have the, um, the really the, the la catarina and like all the things like that that are just beautiful right like um but you can appreciate those if those are not your culture you can appreciate those and oftentimes you can come out to those celebrations you can be a part of them in sort of a participant an invited participant way but we can't take those over um like that's 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 the problem like you said that's crossing a line but we shouldn't have to feel like we need to because we can turn and say like well wait a second I bet we have something kind of similar, right? We have things that are like that. So, um, for example, uh, Eric Legerdy and Morgan Fu, uh, who did um, the one of the big sort of Canadian um, sections in here, talking about French Canadian traditions, they have some of the celebrations that kind of tie into some of the same things that you might see mirrored. For example, if you went down to Sonora, right? Like you might see some of those same kind of um, uh, figures that are being sort of um, either revered or honored or you might be you, you, or feared in some cases so they have uh la yob uh in um parts of the french canadian area which is the devil right and there are traditions about like you have to watch out for the devil in the dance hall um in in parts of uh northern mexico you have to look look at the feet right look always look at the feet make sure that you don't have one hoof down there in the in, underneath the the dancing uh, clothes right um and so it's really interesting you have these parallels and you can compare and contrast and say, oh, it's really cool to learn this from you. It's great to learn this from you and and share this information, but then also say like, look, we have our own traditions and we have things that connect in our families and in our communities, um, the places where we live, the, the people that we interact with regularly. And we can use those traditions because they are already ours and we can have such a beautiful kind of um, uh, blooming, a uh, fluorescence, right? Flowering of... Um, multiple traditions together and and it's kind of like a garden right um, where if you have you can have a rose garden and a rose garden can be really really beautiful right 
But if you have nothing but red roses through a rose garden, it, it's beautiful the first time you see it, but that's it, right? But if you have dozens and dozens and dozens of different kind of flowers blooming in there, all those contrasts, all those different smells, and looks and textures and blooming periods and blooming times and the way things are, it becomes so much more beautiful. And I think that's what we see in North America is we have all of these different flowering traditions of folk magic. Um, and it's we can appreciate them all for different reasons and enjoy them all um, and, and still and still not be crossing those lines and stealing that you don't have to go and pick the flowers from somebody else's part of the garden to make your part of the garden better, right? Um, yeah. The fact that that part exists just makes your part better by existing, right? So that's kind of how, that's kind of how I approach the book and gathering all these people together. They, they all had these rich traditions that were so ready to be talked about. Um, and they were so eager to give uh, pretty much everybody I talked to in this book, they were so eager to, to give some information about their traditions and their backgrounds and the things that they were practicing, the things that they knew. Um, so when I reached out to them, I would say like, Hey, you know, I'm going to give you kind of some questions, but it's really up to you. Talk about what you want to talk about. And I'll kind of, you know, pare it down if we need to. And almost everybody, um, and I'd say, say like, here's a couple of prompt questions and they would just run, they would just run with it and have so much to say, because it's like you're saying with an oral tradition, right? we hold on to all this information. And then when somebody actually is saying like, Hey, can, can you talk about this? Blah, 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 right. We're yeah. just letting it all out. It's a fire hose. It's right out. And, and we want to share it. And and you don't know how much you have in you. I was talking to a friend and mentor, Christopher Hughes, when mm-hmm. he wrote about Carrie one and he was telling me, you know, I grew up with this, so I didn't know how to, um and i'm paraphrasing of course how to separate like this is what i grew up with this is daily to me this is a part of my quotidianity Mm -hmm. how do i put this in the book for somebody that has never been part of the culture and that's what happens with folk traditions that we talk about and we practice them we do them all the time and then we don't it's hard to where do i start telling people what is part of the folk that we don't know is folk to just one area and then another thing that you you tap on uh, um, earlier is people from different areas because the culture and the way we see the culture for example in central mexico the people that are living the culture there and then those who are on the border towns excuse me and then us the diaspora, how we carry that over, how that starts transforming into its own thing without losing the roots. Because the Mexico that I left 25 years ago, the Mexico City that I grew up on, does not exist anymore. A part of it is with me here in Chicago, but it's not, if I go back to Mexico City, it's not gonna be there. It has evolved, it has changed. It's 25 years in the future. And so we care for our culture so fearly, fear, fiercely, you know, we we really try to protect it because we're so far here in Chicago. The best Mexican food is in Chicago because we bring the traditional dishes and don't change. And if you go to Tijuana, if you go to Sonora, if you go to Baja, that is now modernized, that is now influenced, that is now 
an amalgamation of United States, French, English, Chinese, etc. And is its own very own thing that is still traditional, you know. So, so how many Mexicos exist, and how many like the Mexican American culture, and like the work that Jay Allen Cross did on his book of American Brujeria, that is a different witchcraft from what I grew up with. It's it's got it has the same basis, but it's different. So it's it's an evolving animal, and that's why folklore is so beautiful it's, it's almost like a painting that keeps changing the colors you know i'm thinking one of those uh who who painted the starry night was it van gogh, oh, van gogh right yeah, yeah. Van gogh painting. It, it's mm -hmm. kind of like those moving you know that's what folklore is it keeps mm -hmm. evolving it absolutely does no i love your point i mean i i, I think there are people who will fight you about the chicago being best but it, it, your your point is right like it, it come and fight the tradition. Me. <laughs> yeah right like come come at you there. come and fight <laughs> me yeah <laughs> But you're right, like the stuff that you get in, for example, Baja is, it is different. It's been transformed. That doesn't make it not good. It doesn't make it, it's delicious. You get birria there, it's going to be delicious. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. But they're going to maybe specialize in something more like the the fish tacos or something like that, right? Um, the mariscos and stuff like that. But the, um, but whereas, I don't know, do you have the birria up in Chicago? I'm, I'm recently vegan, but yes, I have had, and it's the best, the quesabirria here in Pilsen. Yeah. and and another thing it doesn't make it no mexican yeah it's still mexican yeah. you know yeah and jalen cross like you said he he did such a good job talking about like look these things have transformed but that does not mean that they are no longer tied to their roots they're just a new branch they're just a new growth um that's coming off of that same root and we can appreciate that um paloma de cerantes in the book um she talks about she was trained very much traditionally um, as a curandera in, I think it was Nuevo León, um, um, but I can't remember exactly where she was. I'd have to look at it again. But then she made the transition from there to basically the Los Angeles area. And her training didn't change, but what people were asking for did. Um, so people in one place were looking for things that were more about day-to-day -day survival. And people in another place are looking more for like, how do I find love? How do I find um, peace? How do I find happiness? And it's two different expectations but the same sort of training that she has had is going to have to meet meet those different expectations and that's just that's just the nature of folklore it's just the nature of the beast with migration and like uh, diaspora like you said there are going to be things that change about the environment about the people that you're interacting with they're going to transform what you what you're bringing um, with you but that doesn't mean that you have lost anything either right you're just adding something new or you're you're helping it meet a new environmental need so I, I love that i love i love your point about the and, the and it's exactly what happened with european mm -hmm. asian and african traditions yes. here in the united because i can't believe i have to say this for people that have forgotten this country was made by immigrants for immigrants every single person that lives in this country is an immigrant or is a descendant of an immigrant Unless you are Native American, you're an immigrant or you're a descendant of immigrants. And your cultures and your traditions and your magic also is diasporic. It also came with you when your ancestors, it doesn't matter how many years removed, brought it with. And back then they did Samhain with uh, gourds, but 
it just so happened that in America, the continent, pumpkins grow wild and everywhere. And that's how that happened. You know, and here you have a Mexican song using this because some people choose to forget because it's, it's obviously it's more convenient to forget that we're all immigrants here in this country. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what happened with the magic. And that doesn't mean it's not Polish or Irish or Lithuanian. It still is. It's just it, it adapts itself to survive. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and it's important to remember, you know, as well that like borders are ideas borders are an imaginary thing right um I, I, one of my favorite phrases about um the sort of the sort of situation with um people who are were you know mexican-american mesoamerican coming from those roots there's always the the idea that like you know they never crossed a border the border always crossed them right um and and it's it's there's not really borders there's people right there's people who have been sharing these traditions these you know a, a family that is separated by an imaginary border um it's still a family and they still share traditions whether they're on one side of the rio grande or the other right exactly um, and so it's just one of those things where i i think you're right i think there's this 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 weird patina this weird idea that we've put on top of the idea of being an immigrant or being a migrant person um and we forget that that is all of us that is you know with like like you said with the exception of indigenous american peoples um that is truly all of us in terms of our our history and our experiences on this continent um there are there are people who have that indigenous history but even those even many many people who have indigenous history also now have some additional uh history sometimes from really terrible reasons obviously um but we have to kind of reconcile that to, to understand like look we are a continent full of people um, who are sharing a, a, a vast array of histories and sources and things like that. And we can see some really wonderful things um, if we allow that. But when we try to like lump everybody into a box and say like, no, you are this one thing and this one thing only, <laughs> like you are, uh, you know, you are Mexican. Boom. That's it. That's all you can ever be. No, you can be a lot of things. Right? Yeah. You know, it's like with, with us, the Mexican-Americans here in Chicago, you know, that they say, oh, we're Latinos, we're Latinos. And a lot of us Mexicans, I'm not going to speak for all Mexicans, obviously, but a lot of us Mexicans don't identify with this Latino uh, mm -hmm. label because it's more Caribbean. It, the way I see it is more like Afro-Caribbean. Mm -hmm. So Cuba, Puerto Rico, Haiti, Costa Rica, you know, they... In, embody more this latino thing we love to shake our booty yes but we're more into like mexican traditional you know uh, regional mexican music and you cannot put a label on any of us even people from mexico city because like every other city i mean first of all mexico city is huge right one of the densest populations in the world we're not the same. You got your north side, your south side, your east side, your west side. Then you have the metropolitan areas that are grown into the uh, foreign um, neighboring states that were rural. They're not rural anymore because the city is growing. So you cannot box anybody. You cannot say I'm Irish and then, oh, yeah, well, you you dance, right? You dance the Irish dance, right? Because every Irish person dance. No, <laughs> not everybody is the same. 
Yeah, we're not we're not all on stage with our hands on our hips making our, our feet move like crazy, right? Just because just because we have some Irish heritage, like that's not how it works. Yeah, and those assumptions, it's so funny. People do overlay these assumptions. And that's what I hope like, you know, this book and, and other books that have been coming out are gonna do is sort of say, like, look, you can have all the assumptions you want. There's a lot more depth to this than 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 just the superficial assumptions assumptions see. And and it's really worth kind of unpacking that from, from a folk magical perspective to say like one look how amazing and rich this this group is um you know even in some cases we have people who are kind of doing contrasting versions of their culture so pennsylvania german we got two different people both practicing pennsylvania german healing traditions and you can look at them and see like oh there are a lot of differences even in the way these two people practice them you know maybe 100 miles apart from one another um but at the same time we can see some commonality some overlay between those two and say like oh that tells us something about the, what was important. What, what, what was magic being used to do? Well, it's being used to heal people from farm accidents. Oh, because farming is really important in this area, right? It's a farm community. I wonder if I have farm traditions in my family, right? And you can kind of look back and see like those connections for yourself. Because mm-hmm. a lot of this is about understanding yourself a little better. It's understanding your own biography through the magic that your family has carried or through the magic that your community has carried. Um, and understanding magic has always arisen to meet needs it's always arisen to help those who didn't have everything right Uh, if you're rich if you're rich if you're a king (laughs) you don't need magic really right um no matter how much king james was like i need i need people to do magic to stop the witches from doing magic whatever Uh, that's his that's his deal he can do what he wants to do whatever um if you're rich you don't need it um if you're poor that's where magic is going to help you because you have to have something to help give you that little boost um, to survive. Uh, And that tells us something about the resiliency of the people we come from and the people that we are connected to and say, Oh, they did magic to heal because doctors couldn't reach them. Right. Because they lived in a place where doctors couldn't get, they did magic to help them plant their gardens because they needed to know what moon signs things were in so that they could help things grow better. Right. So, those are the kinds of things I think it's so wonderful to, to, to sort of tell our story through the magic that we, we share. And to understand that, like this one person that wrote in the blurb, this is the magic of resistance, tradition, and survival. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm in the book. Uh, <laughs> I will never be more proud of this book. Um, let me tell you, you know, it is wonderful. Yeah, I'm so thrilled you did that. That's so great. Uh, the complete book of North American folk magic and landscape of magic mysteries and tradition. I want to give a shout out, uh, Corey, to the people of Llewellyn. Mm-hmm. They're wonderful. I have to give a shout out to Marcus, to mm-hmm. Heather, uh, and I should I shouldn't be naming names because I forgot now. I, again, what's happening with me today? The names, uh, the folks of Llewellyn. They're so generous and they're so magical and they're so wonderful. So. Um, Thank you, and thank you to all these authors that you compile all these beautiful stories. And of course, I have to ask you, where can people get the book, Corey? <laughs> uh, well, the best place to do it is go to Llewellyn.com, obviously. And I will say this, if you go to Llewellyn.com, one of the cool things they've done is they've created an interactive map so that you can click on the different locations that are listed in the book and see what the chapters are, learn a little bit more about them as you as you look for information in the book. So that's the best place to go. It is, of course, available on the big giant website the named after the South American River. Yes. <laughs> um and it is also on places like bookshop.org and any place where you can order um, books, you'll be able to find this. So. 
That is wonderful. I love it. I I love every single one of the authors here. Some of them, like I say, I already knew and I'm a fan and I love them. And some of them I got to meet reading this wonderful book. So thank you. Um, remember, folks, we all have folk magic. We all have folk traditions. And I cannot believe I have to say this again. No, you cannot appropriate the dominant culture. I've been accused of appropriating Krampus. Oh. <laughs> uh, because I love, when you mentioned Krampus, I was like, oh, I can't believe you wrote a thing on Krampus because I love, yeah. love Krampus. Uh, no, I'm not, as a Mexican, I'm not appropriating Krampus because that, that is the dominant culture. And also I'm not making money out of it. Right. Anyway, um, look into your family history, right? Look into how your, what your mama did when she was cooking. What were the prayers that she was saying when she was mm -hmm. trying to put a meal together for you and your seven siblings? Mm -hmm. That is where the magic is. That is yeah. where the mystery is in the land, on the sea, on your mama's prayer. And, and what, and how she tied your shoes, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's everywhere. It's just wonderful. I cannot believe we've already been here for so long. Um, do you have any future? Uh, of course, today is June 12th. So after today, June 12th, wink, wink. Uh, do you have any presentations? Do you have any places that you're going to be? Anything that you want to tell us about so we can follow you? Sure, absolutely. The biggest one kind of coming up is I will be uh, one of the keynote speakers at Mystic South, which is in Atlanta uh, in July. Um, I'm going to be doing three different presentations there. One on a, a ritual known as the Dumb Supper, um, which is a silent meal um, that has a lot of folklore about it. Uh, one is going to be on the way that witchcraft accusations um, are connected with uh, things like economics and, you know, how basically... Um, Poor, poor people are, are easy targets uh, in, in some ways. Uh, so, and how, how, which, how sort of the economy of witchcraft worked. Um, and then uh, I'm also doing a fun one, which is I'm um, doing a pajama party, a witchcraft, a folk, a folk divination pajama party where um, if you ever play those sleepover games, like where you would have like Bloody Mary or you would have uh, like Charlie Charlie and you'd spin the pencils Ooh. or like the Ouija boards and stuff. So we're going to get people together and we're going to have a whole bunch of like little like games that we can do. It's like a big sleepover party. So, yeah. You mischievous children. <laughs> <laughs> we're summoning demons tonight. <laughs> oh my God. That sounds like a lot of fun. So that's going to be on Mystic yeah. South. Yes. Mystic South. And remind us the dates. Uh, it's mid-July. I think it's like July 14th or 17th. Don't quote me on that exactly, uh, but it's definitely kind of mid-July. If you go to the Mystic South website, uh, they will specifically have the dates. Uh, yeah, I think it's the 14th through the 16th or 17th is the, are the main dates for that. So, Well, it happened again that I have a guest on my show that I've never met before. And now I feel that I have a friend forever. <gasps> oh, I do too. Oh, it's so and delightful to meet you. It, it's been so wonderful. I definitely will want you back at one point because you are wonderful and we can talk folk until we cannot dance anymore with the red yes. slippers, yes, uh, you know, and, and talk about these little traditions and talk about La Llorona and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But anyway, as, as of right now, time is of the essence because we have to we're not pre-recording, but we all have things to do. 
Uh, yes, we are pre-recording. You know we're pre-recording. It's not a secret anymore. Um, so speaking of pre-recording, I have news for you. On June 26th, we will have Matthew Ash McKernan talking about his book, Weircraft. Pardon my butchering of words. July 10, we're going to have Sasha Graham talking about Tarot of the Witch's Garden. If you haven't got your Tarot of the Witch's Garden, you're slipping on it. And on July 24th, we're going to have Phoenix Silverstar talking about her book, uh, Rituals from Scratch. I think that's the title. And you can find all of Lunatic Mondays on the Circle Century website under the CSMP tab. Uh, click on Lunatic Mondays, you can find them. Or if you go to the Llewellyn website, then you can go to the author's page and then you can find the podcast there. You can also find us on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, etc., etc. And I want to remind you, we have over 950 hours of podcasts that you can listen, download, share. We have Circle Talk with Deborah Rose two Tuesdays a month. We have a Circle of Nature with Selena Fox the third Wednesday of the month. We have Blue Marble with Charlotte Bear the third Friday of the month. The second and fourth Friday of the month, we have uh, Songs of the Pagan Tribe. And then on Saturdays, we have Paganos del Mundo, Pagans of the World, Pagaos do Mundo, our Spanish and Portuguese show. And then, of course, the second and the fourth Monday of the month, we have Lunatic Mondays with yours truly, Laura Gonzalez. Corey, it has been a pleasure and what's after that to get to know you, to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for inviting me to do the blurb. Um, I am really ecstatic that I am in the book. And... <laughs> You're thrilled to have you. Thank you so much for having me on the show, too. This has been delightful. And uh, I leave you the microphone so you can say goodnight to your audience. Uh, good night, everybody. Have a wonderful time. Make a little magic and uh, spread it around. Thank you, everybody. Don't forget North American Folk Magic, a landscape of magic, mysteries, and tradition uh, by Llewellyn, of course. And until we meet again, never forget that you are loved. Goodbye. Lunatic Mondays is a production of Laura Gonzalez for CSN Podcasts, building bridges of community around the world. Thank you for joining us on the Circle Sanctuary Network podcast presented by Circle Sanctuary and produced for all who follow nature-centered paths. Join us throughout the week for various programming connecting with the community around the world. Please don't forget to watch for updates on the Circle Sanctuary website at www.circlesanctuary.org. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash CSN podcasts. We can also be found on your favorite podcast hosting sites such as iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and others. Until next time, many blessings. <laughs>